You know, it's funny, as I was thinking about an introduction for this topic today, life, as it sometimes does with topics that are true in our lives, sort of provided me with the perfect material, I think, regarding what I wanted to talk about, uh, which is learning from our mistakes. And what I learned today, or what I experienced today, rather, that leads to what I learned, were a couple of things. First of all, we just hit a hundred downloads on our on our podcast here, so that's still a, a relatively mild, modest amount, but it's it's more than nothing, and it's certainly growing. So that I was very, uh, you know, sort of excited for that that first milestone. Anybody who has any sort of audience space like that knows that those those big round numbers are are often really nice. So thank you, first of all, to everybody who's listened so far. Um, but I also at school today because some of my listeners are others um, at the the schools where I teach, the colleges where I teach. And I had independently both uh, a student in one of my classes, as well as a professor um, in one of the departments, tell me that they both listened to one of our previous episodes and, and really enjoyed it, really got a lot out of it. So I thought that was interesting to reflect upon for this topic, because I have only ever been able to produce anything of use, anything of value through the experience of having failed at it pretty substantially in many cases. But this is what I wanted to really just uh, explain a little bit more in depth today, because it comes up in so many contexts in the classwork that we do. Um, but it applies to life in general across a, a, you know, a broad range of spectrums, whether academic, personal, professional, this idea of how to really learn from your mistakes and as I think I've written in the description, hopefully identified clearly, how to ideally grow or evolve from your mistakes. And podcasting is certainly one of those uh, those forums where, you know, people often ask me, how, how, how did you figure out how to podcast? And I tell them, like everything else, I sort of learned one step at a time. I, I've messed a lot of things up, technical and otherwise thematic. And you learn, you grow from that. It's true in writing as well. Um, and I think it's true in most professions or arts that really are worth pursuing. And again, you can extrapolate that to all other forms of interaction in life, whether um, personal relationships, uh, business relationships, whatever that may be. So anyways, again, this is something that we discuss a lot in class, obviously, in different contexts. If you're joining us for the first time, I should clarify that I am a writing professor. So this is <laughs> anybody who knows anything about writing, and that includes having just ever taken a writing class, you know how difficult and frustrating and what a process that can be, right? And I, what I really like to emphasize this is, is this idea, this universal concept that, you know, the same mistakes that you make in writing and you want to learn from in writing apply again to many other aspects of your life in terms of, you know, our own personal growth and, and how we um, hopefully ideally become better people from that, right? So anyways, this actually also reminds me of, I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago in our publishing advice episode, where oftentimes, oftentimes, yeah, because students are always coming to me clamoring to discuss what a great writer I am. No, not really. But Sometimes my students who are interested in writing and they do read some of the work that I've published, whether fiction or nonfiction, whatever the case may be, they, uh, you know, sometimes come to me to discuss that because they're curious about that process. And, you know, again, whether 
actually the, the writing process or the publishing process. And oftentimes, I'm sort of taken aback by how impressed they are because I certainly suffer from what I would consider imposter syndrome, which a lot of people I know, especially in the um, the arts or humanities, but also technical fields, uh, you know, uh, health sciences, uh, that sort of thing, often feel the same way. And imposter syndrome is this idea that you are, in fact, inadequate or you're an imposter in your field, right? You're, you're there for not quite the right reasons, uh, not quite 100% the right reasons, at least, which, of course, is relatively nonsense. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? There's a reason why that cliche exists. Um, but again, it's ironic how many credible, skilled people feel this way. And so when students tell me that they're impressed, again, either by my the writing itself or the fact that I've put you know these works out there, I, you know, the, the one thing that I tell them that is, is really the honest truth um, is this idea that, and I pretty much say this verbatim, that I'm only, quote, better than you um, at writing because I've been failing at it for longer. And I really do believe that's true. I mean, that, that kind of comes across maybe as, um, I don't know, maybe you would consider that like a fancy thematic quote or something like that. But I really do think it's true. And I certainly have the body of failed work to back that up, uh, which brings me to exactly that. The fact that so much of the writing I've done personally um, will never see the light of day. And it hasn't seen the light of day. And I, I think this is an interesting point of emphasis because so many writers that I know, um, especially young writers starting out, people who are interested in writing, again, in any context, whether uh, more creative work or nonfiction work, essays, whatever the case may be, it's very easy to get deterred by uh, struggle and failure, whether that's doing the actual writing itself, like we said earlier, or um, getting that work published as well and, and dealing with rejections. And all, we, again, we mentioned all of that in our publishing advice episode. So go back and definitely listen to that if you want some actual concrete advice in terms of not just the the process of, of getting that work out there, but the process as well of dealing with, um, you know, the, the struggle and the rejection and all that stuff too. Uh, that is wildly underemphasized, uh, I feel like, Um at least it, it, with with most people I know, there's not like a class on dealing with rejection that I know of. But I can certainly, again, with my own personal examples, share those and explain those to my students for sure, uh, which I do. And like I said, there's plenty of, of literary ones that I can point to, again, either with stories that I have submitted and are just utterly rejected um, or novels I've even written. I've written entire novels that will never see the light of day. And so to me, this is really interesting because the question then is, well, what was that all about, right? Like, what can I point to as a sort of silver lining, right? We like to oftentimes frame our failures in the sense that some good came of it. I mean, this is something that we try to do, right, with, with historical events or terrible things that happen in uh, throughout history or in our own personal lives, right? We try to look for those underlying elements of, of good, you know, what we can dig out of the ashes and, and really take to heart or, or make meaning of and from. So this is a very human concept. And it's, it's certainly what I've tried to do with some of my failed writing. And I ask questions is what I is exactly what I do uh, about more so 
wondering what did I learn if I learned everything, if I've learned anything. Um, did I learn how to not write a book? Did I learn how to write a failed book? Did I learn how to persevere? Did I learn how to not bother persevering if a book is failing or not working, right? Um, there's seemingly more little questions in that sense than there are big answers. And to me, that might be one of the, the truest lessons there is this idea that um, you kind of have to self-reflect on a case-by-case basis in order to, you know, try to figure out what elements specifically of your 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 work and again you can apply this to any other skill whether it's it's art or or a professional skill as well you know again trying to assess the the nuanced specific factors that have um worked or not worked and again in the case of of my own work with with creative writing usually you know we're looking at elements of plot character development story arcs um and again i i think sharing all of this with others and and practicing with others and working with others, getting feedback that you can identify is valuable and is useful. I think that's wildly helpful. And this is as well in my classes why we do, again, not just my creative writing classes, but my nonfiction writing classes, even our technical writing classes, why we talk about the value of getting feedback and, and what is relevant feedback, what is useful feedback, how do you assess or judge the difference between you know, sort of subjective opinion of what people like or don't like versus, you know, identifying elements that are really going to help improve your writing, make it more clear, more effective, more engaging. Um, and again, sometimes if it's a little bit of both or, or the other, right, it's hard to say like, oh, this decision, this change is, you know, 100% going to solve um, some, of, some of these issues, but maybe it will make um, that work more effective to more people across a, a wider range of audience, right? A lot of questions, and again, oftentimes more questions than answers. But in the case of writing, and once more, I can't reiterate this enough, I think this applies to a lot of areas in life, Um, this idea of boiling all of this down to one question of, am I a better writer for my failures? I really do truly believe that the answer is yes, if I'm still writing. And like I said, you can apply that to any other area, right? If you are still working on it, if you are still trying to learn, if you are still continuing to improve yourself in whatever uh, area or genre or relationship, then yes, you are better for those um, those mistakes. Again, it's it's hard to say that as a general guideline or rule across you know every example, but. In general, I think that's a, a, a more healthy, positive way to look at the, the struggles that we oftentimes times go through. And so once more, like I said, in terms of academic writing, um, you know, this is where it gets difficult for students in terms of really trying to point out what the value is in the work that we do. And one of my main grading philosophies along this line is this idea of learning from your mistakes. And I, I think the place to start with that in terms of writing, and I think this is useful for many people, regardless of your specific you know, area of expertise, is to understand really the value of writing situation by situation. So my point being that if it doesn't seem um, important, then who cares if it's wrong? And this applies to specific 
techniques of writing as well as the consistency of those techniques, right? Which sort of makes sense if you think of it that way. You know, if you're not sure why these guidelines matter and why their consistency matters, well, then who cares if it's you know, sort of all over the place, right? And so I, I think that the nonfiction assignments we do in particular, the analysis assignments and the research-based papers that we do are a, a really good practice in in sort of that, that skill set. Um, whether it's rhetorical analysis where we analyze um, opinion pieces written by authors in, in newspapers and why and how those are effective at convincing people of certain opinions, convincing audiences who might have different opinions of your opinion. Super useful, I feel like, to ask, well, what are those consistent elements that, again, bring out that argument more clearly and more broadly to a wider audience, as well as with the research argument papers? You know, how do you find uh, research that is compelling and convincing and clear and unbiased and um, again, does all, all, all of this work that we're, we're, we're sort of saying. And as well, I also focus on some, somewhat smaller assignments that, again, they, they point to the relevancy of all of this. Uh, one of my favorite is favorites is we do an assignment on how to get out of parking tickets because I have uh, more parking tickets than I am proud of. And uh, I, I've gotten out of all of them by writing appeals. And it's sort of funny, one of the one of the uh, exercises that we do is I show them a parking ticket appeal of the version of the appeal that I wanted to write to the parking services about my ticket. And there's, you know, a fair amount of explicatives and not nice things said. And then there's the real version that I actually sent them that does get granted an appeal. And we discuss exactly, well, what are the differences in terms of why this might be more effective than sort of the other one. And again, that's something where it, it's sort of worth reflecting upon and saying like, oh, okay, these skills involved, I can learn and take these and, and use them to my advantage in terms of bettering outcomes. Of course, I didn't start by writing the perfect parking tickets, but you know, again, the writing skills involved trial and error with those individually and, and continuing to get other, other people's opinions and feedback I've sort of been able to develop that skill set, right? And it gets me out parking tickets now, which is great. <laughs> so that relevancy is important. And you you sort of, I think, see this lack of understanding of the relevancy of these writing skills. And again, when we say writing skills, we mean not just the, the technical details, but also the, the thematic ideas of, you know, does the writer seem credible and believable and convincing in those ways, right? which obviously is tied together with the, the more technical elements. But anyways, the, uh, as I was saying, this lack of understanding of the relevancy of these skills and, and learning these skills and learning from the mistakes is sort of, I, I can identify it very quickly now, mostly when students suffer from what I call the fix my paper syndrome. And that is exactly what it sounds like, where a student you know, asks me pretty explicitly sometimes if I can fix their their paper and the answer as it's always been is no um, I'm not here to just fix your paper I, I even told a student once because he was very persistent that oh, well can't you just fix my paper <laughs> and it's sort of when you really stop and and ask the student what they mean they usually realize that it's a ridiculous request it's a ridiculous question and I, I even told a student once I said well what you're asking for is an editing service 
Whereas I'm your instructor. I'm here to teach you the skills, which you then have to employ within the, the essays, right? I'm not here to just edit them and then you submit it because that's just me writing the paper then. And it's a fine line where you sort of cut that off. But again, this is why it, it's a it, it's sort of a constant struggle. And I think a lot of instructors, a lot of teachers have different ideas in terms of what the revision guidelines are for how often students can revise and get feedback. Um, you know, the, the endless revisions will lead to this issue where they're not really learning anything. They're just looking for you to correct all of their errors and, and, you know, again, then just resubmit it, which doesn't really make sense when you break down asking what are they actually learning, right? So what I try to point out are what I call common errors. Uh, so I don't correct all of the mistakes, but rather point out the unique type of mistakes that they make and explain in my comments that, okay, look for this throughout your paper, you know, continue refining or rephrasing or uh, identifying these specific errors or areas for potential improvement based on these, you know, types of situations. Um, again, some students understand that more clearly than others, and some sort of take a little bit longer to, to get there. But that this requires, uh, certainly on the part of the student, time and, 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 and effort. And if they're willing to put that in, then I think it, it usually works out, um, you know, really well, typically. Again, there's no one solution fits all to, to any of this, unfortunately. If only life were that easy, right? But we can at least, you know, take, uh, you know, take the idea that, okay, there are good practices in general that will generate the, the best outcomes in, in general again. Um, so uh, my main point being that th this idea of, of making it known why these skills are relevant and you know again how it's okay to make mistakes but you want to learn from those mistakes and learn why those mistakes are confusing to your audience make your work unclear to the audience make you seem less credible to the audience right um or just less convincing or less interesting uh, I, again there's a lot of effects that you can point to specific effects and I think it's interesting how this is, you know, once more, I know I keep, I keep repeating myself, but this is true in, in many other forms of art um, where people notice, you know, errors or, or issues that, again, make the work less convincing, make it less interesting, make it less compelling. Um, and, and, you know, as, as well, what I said, you can apply that to other situations of any skills, uh, skill set, essentially, that you can think of. And so I, I, I do think that that truly does lead to this idea of, of larger lessons to be had here about life in general. And it's interesting to see this through a, a college professor's lens, um, you know, thinking about my students. And I, I think in some senses, you know, sometimes college instructors, college professors forget that their students are, you know, really new at a lot of this. A lot of them are, are obviously right out of high school. And I, I think, you know, they, they do sort of, you need to give them leeway while also keeping them focused and keeping them on point and on task. It, it's, again, a, a difficult balance because the one thing that you don't want to do is sort of what I call bubbling them or echo chambering them, where they're sort of shielded from the fact that, well, in the real world, you're not going to be allowed these sort of... Um, what would you call them, exceptions to not being prepared, to not making uh, corrections to the degree that you should or the level that you should. Um, 
not working on improving your skills at the the rate or the pace that you should. So it's a it's a fine line and it's a fine balance because obviously, I think you do in 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 school have to, you know, acknowledge the fact that they have a lot of else going on. But at the same time, you, you do have to find that balance of of pushing them as well and and helping them develop pretty really in in, in that sense as as people, um, because this is oftentimes what you're going to face in the real world. Um, at work, you know, in, in different situations. Um, so I, I think we we need to be realistic as as well as accepting and accommodating as as well. Um, life is hard. <laughs> this is true for students as as well as for professors. And uh, I, I think this is certainly something worth keeping in mind. It's it's funny I so many former students that I, I speak to now, they really do reflect upon how um, I'm hoping to have some of them on soon to the podcast, because I think that would be really interesting to, to hear their reflections and, and, and get some of their thoughts on how the work that I've, t- I've spoken to many of them about this, about how the work that we've discussed and done in, in our own um, classes when they were in school, how they've used those skills, but obviously they can point to specific tangible um writing skills that they've gained and they've learned, right? Like, oh yeah, we worked on how to write a cover letter. Well, you know, now they they have to submit a cover letter. Boom, there you go. That's a, a very valuable, useful writing skill they've gained. However, there are also sort of just the, I, I think the, the personal development um, aspects of, of the lessons that we, we do. Again, the process of, of not just learning, but of assessing, um, the work that you've done and how you can improve it, how you can better it, how it is valuable and useful and um, meaningful to make these changes to uh, make that work more successful and how that's something to be proud of, right? That's something that you should obviously uh, take take pride in, right? So I think it's it's interesting to think of uh, the work that we do in, in, in college and in teaching in general and in learning in general, again, you know, for those of you, anybody listening who's not a, a teacher or not a student, we're all students of life, myself included. And I think that the day that you think that you know everything, that you have everything figured out, that's the day that you fail. Honestly, I, that sounds like a cliche. I'm sure it is me saying it, but I think it's it's utterly it's utterly true in terms of at least what I've noticed for myself. As I mean, talk about another cliche, it's important to learn how to it's all right. Well, the real cliche is it's important to learn from your, from your mistakes, but I think it's important to learn how to learn from your mistakes. And as I've said, how to grow and evolve from there. Um, another one of my favorite cliches is that hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think that's true as well. There's, you know, it's so funny. There's so many cliches going back to, uh, you know, somebody like Shakespeare, for example, but it's like, well, if Shakespeare came up with something that's a cliche, there's probably a good reason for it, right? There must be truth to it. And I think this, I don't know if Shakespeare said hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know who did, actually. Maybe somebody can look that up and comment for us. Um, but I think that's that's definitely true. And I mean, think about it in your own life, right? Forget about writing. How often do you look back and say, man, if only I, and you can insert your regret, right? <laughs> if only I'd known or seen or realized. And if it helps at all, uh, 
I think you want to keep in mind that knowing that you do now know, uh, you can identify that you now realize, right? Maybe how to do something more effectively or more, uh, more engagingly moving forward, right? Again, both for yourself and and others. I think that's that's super useful to to keep in mind, right? You know, the other piece of advice that I would give is that it's very true. We can't change yesterday, but I think we can be our best tomorrow by acknowledging the truth today. To me, that's really a good way of thinking about learning and, and growth in general. Um, God knows I need it for, for my writing. <laughs> I'm hardly the perfect writer myself. And this is why I love writing. I mean, we can really talk about the big picture ideas um, at the sentence level or through the sentence level, right? Which is kind of cool. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, one other thing I would say in terms of writing advice in general is I think regardless of whether or not you are a writer, whether or not you are a student, whether or not you are a teacher, I would say I think everybody needs to be writing more. It's crazy to me that more people don't write. And in fact, I, I know many people who aren't writers who still keep a diary or a journal, whatever you want to call it. But I think that's fantastic. And I know so many people who that helps essentially as a form of, of therapy. And, but, you know, I mean, you can think of it however you want, but what it actually practically does just having um, a place where you record your thoughts and write through your thoughts is it really makes them real, which sort of makes sense, right? Like if you put them down on paper, you can actually see them. They actually become in that sense um, living I, I feel like at least, and I know others feel that way. And so I would I would advise that. I would say, just try it. I mean, get a little notebook. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to share any of it if you don't want to. Lots of people do. They have blogs where they do exactly this as well. That's perfectly fine as well. But if you want to start by just, you know, recording your day, uh, recording your your feelings, your reactions, and maybe what prompts those, right? This self-reflection can be immensely, if not infinitely, valuable to your own well-being. You know, ju just write out your thoughts, but as you do, you might want to consider writing out as well why you think those thoughts, right? That can be really useful. That can be really valuable. Again, for writers, that's certainly true, but I think for everybody, all of us as, as students of life, that's, that's certainly true as well. So it's a great place to figure out the lessons that you've learned, but there might be there might be more there than you realize. And that is, you know, that openness, that willingness to um, sort of step out of your comfort zone in that sense and take a chance to see what what more you might have to say about yourself and the world around you. I think you, you you'll be surprised what you can come up with. So I would actually love to hear, what you what you think if you try something like this um because again I, I know so many people who do benefit from that type of writing and there's so much more to say about this but i, I think overall you know these these are self-reflections for everyone to think about for yourself um you know trying to be more honest and open about what you think what why you think what you think um and i think that that helps us all in the end ideally right so anyways, that's all I really wanted to say about this topic for now. There's a few further ideas related to some of these specific points that I think we might expand into further episodes moving forward. 
Um, but the, the core here, I think, is, is pretty well established in terms of, you know, how, how learning from your mistakes is so much easier said than done. We were talking about this even in my uh, classes today, my technical writing classes about presentations, because we're doing presentations of their research. And yeah, boy, do you have to plan out, you know, reflecting upon, uh, you know, what's the best way to, to move forward with those. But again, I reiterate very detailed in very great detail to them this idea that well this is a practice zone right like this is a place where you want to experiment and try different things and see what lands and see what doesn't and know that everybody else is doing the same right nobody's coming up there with a perfect presentation and if if it seems like they did part of that at least was luck i mean obviously some of us are are more skilled speakers maybe than others um but, you know, we're all learning something. I've yet to have a presentation that I find is flawless. Uh, oh, that's actually good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll tell them that as well um, Wednesday. I think if I frame that correctly, uh, that can be helpful advice as opposed to terrifying advice. It's always a fine line too, uh, but it's, supposed, it's meant to be helpful advice. So I just got to keep in mind how to frame it in that way. So anyways, um, thank you so much for joining us. I hope I hope you um, agree with some of the points here, or I would be very interested, like I said, to hear what you have to say as well, whether about any of the points that I mentioned, especially if you agree or disagree with them. I'm always interested in how and why people disagree with what I say. It's the writer in me. It's kind of a chronic illness of sorts, I suppose. Uh, but again, I'm trying to learn from that, right? Um, so yeah, you can tweet at us. We're on Twitter at Joe T Labs, or you can comment on our main webpage. That's at Professor Labs at podbean.com. And we're also available, I think, on most podcast outlets now. So if you are listening to us in one place because you think we're only there, we're also on uh, most of the others. So we're on iTunes, uh, Spotify, um, Podbean, like I said, uh, Google Play, I think. Uh, if I'm not somewhere else, please let me know that as well, because I have to check where and why we aren't in certain places when we should be. <laughs> so please let me know. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention as well is that I do have a, a new book out as well. Um, I'll link. Will I link that? I don't know if I'll link that. It feels kind of cheesy to link um, a book. You know, ironically, it's the book is my beach cleaning guidebook. It's called The Beach Cleaner's Guide to Getting Trashed. And it's, it's sort of a... a an entertaining take on the lessons and tips that I've learned and skills, I think, that I've gained beach cleaning over the past several years, which I've done fairly um, aggressively. I've collected uh, well over a thousand pounds of waste, probably a couple thousand pounds at this point of plastic beach waste. And for lots of reasons, um, we did a beach cleaning podcast episode a few episodes back. So if you want to learn more, definitely go back and listen to that one. But, you know, as well, um, I, I think in general, it's just a passion of mine that I've been working on. And I, I there's not a whole lot of guidebooks out there. So I wanted to do one that was sort of fun and engaging. The ebook's out now on Amazon.com, as well as the paperback should be out too. So uh, the ebook's much cheaper, but the paper book is nice and lovely. It has color pictures. The ebook's kind of cool, though, because there's a lot of hyperlinks. So you it's very interactive. It's really cool. Definitely. Um, if you're at all interested in, you know, how you can beach clean. And if you don't live near a beach, there's advice on how you can still help your local community um, 
Believe it or not, there's a lot in terms of environmental cleanup that you can do, sometimes more so when you're not near the beach. Again, I get into that in the book. So I think there's a lot there for a lot of audiences. And it's such an important topic and idea. In fact, I'm working on a, a TEDx talk um, lecture thing regarding this idea of, you know, sort of individual activism in terms of, of actually ourselves taking initiative and and doing something like I've I've sort of feel like I, I've at least done um, with with my beach cleaning and the, and the work that I've accomplished again it's it's one person but all of that adds up right so anyways that's all included in in the the guidebook again that's the beach cleaners guide to getting trashed it's fun there's a lot of jokes but there's a lot of good real information in, in terms of, of what I've learned and and I, I think good advice for um, beach cleaners, you know, just starting out or, you know, if you've been doing it for a while, um, there's, there's a lot there too. So yeah, check it out on Amazon if you're interested. And hopefully, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about that next week because it's promotion is all, <laughs> is always one of the toughest things as a writer, you know, getting, getting your work out there. Um, but we'll see. Um, if you have ideas for topics, you know, let us know as well, either at Twitter or on our Podbean page. And uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place, wherever you are, I suppose. Um, I think we changed the time to we're publishing at uh, Tuesday mornings now because I read online that that's the best time to publish. I don't know. We'll see. We made it up to 100 downloads, right? Um, You know, after like a month, which is actually pretty good. I'm actually pretty impressed by that. Uh, So if it keeps going, we'll, we'll keep it at that time. But we'll see. So anyways, uh, once once again, thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, hope again that you take some of this advice to heart. And until next time, um, keep learning and we'll see you then. Thanks again. Bye-bye.